Sit in on unfiltered raw chats with multiple sclerosis advocate, motivational speaker, and writer, a hot MS, as she goes one-on-one with those who've had all the odds against them. From unexpected disabilities, incurable illnesses, to pimped out mobility aids, this pioneer in the chronic illness community wants you to know you can be a total train wreck and flip it into something positive, empowering, and even life-changing when she's not dirty dancing on an IV pole, that is. Welcome, welcome back. Okay, so I'm jumping in because that's how I roll and I like to fling you guys into the thoughts that I have for the day. So we've talked about fear and we've touched on vulnerability. So I want to take you down the road of discussing shame. Shame and disability are commonly associated with one another and for the life of me, I cannot understand why. Even pre-diagnosis, I never had looked at disability as something to feel sorry for or to pity. And I think I just grew up being pretty different. And I, I always saw strength in the alternative, but you know, I was bullied really, really bad as a kid, like shoved into lockers where the school had to call the fire department to come and cut the lock and let me out that kind of bad. So I was always the kid that sang and I didn't just sing as a hobby, but I I sang and performed professionally in my area in Massachusetts. And, you know, my, my friends and and kids at my school knew about it. Um, I performed at school fundraisers, town hall events, you know, city parades, yada, yada, yada. And while all of this was great for my confidence and my craft, it was absolutely horrific for my social life, especially in school. I had friends, but I was definitely not the one sitting at the cool table. But looking back now, we were the cool ones. We were the cool ones, you know, the ones not afraid or ashamed to be themselves, to not follow the trends and and all that, but to step outside the box and not give a rat's nipple what the other kids thought. We were the cool kids on the block. But we know the kids can be mean. So I kept doing me and into the lockers I went. Good thing I was small enough to comfortably fit inside them. I was pretty teeny growing up. So, but that's probably the reason as to why I'm so claustrophobic now. Getting me into an MRI machine now is like sticking a hamster in a toilet paper roll. It's tight and it sucks, but we got to do it. Side note. Side note for the MS MRIs or just MRIs in regards to any neurological disability for the claustrophobic people. It is so much easier with sedation. And yes, that's actually an option that I just recently found a doctor to actually advocate for. I had three MRIs done a couple weeks ago with full sedation and it was great. I got in, I got out and I wasn't even there for any of it. It was amazing. There was no anxiety. There was no ugly crying. There was no Excuse me, Ms. Kiros, we need you to stop shaking in the machine because we have to keep taking the images over and over again. And I was shaking because I was crying so much. Uh, so side note, ask your neurologist if um, local or full sedation is something that you would actually qualify for and benefit when you're doing your MRIs. But let's go back to shame. So growing up, shame 
was lurking around my life, always tempting me to let it in. Shame for being a singer, shame for not playing soccer like the rest of the girls, because in Massachusetts, soccer for chicks was like huge. I was shamed for performing. I'm I'm sure it was just a jealousy thing because kids can suck, but you know, I kept doing me until the bullying got really, really bad. And for a brief time, I tried to fit in. I pretended to be like everyone else, and I took a hiatus from music and told myself I wanted to be a marine biologist after my parents took me to SeaWorld. I loved all the, you know, the crazy dolphin shows, but I was trying to squeeze myself into this box because everyone else was in that box, and I wanted to be too. The box was familiar. It was mutual amongst my peers, and it wasn't misunderstood. The box was safe. Safe, but it wasn't me. So when I was 14, my parents decided to follow some family out from Massachusetts to California. My grandfather, or Grampy as I called him, he had um, moved out to California shortly after my Nina had passed, so he wanted to kind of start like a new chapter of his life. So my parents said, well, you know what? That could be a good opportunity for us. Let's, let's, you know, play and dabble in the idea. I was also interested in going to the Orange County High School of the Arts in Santa Ana. So everything sort of was lining up perfectly and we'd be close to Grampy again. And I had the opportunity to go to a school specifically designed for the performing arts. I auditioned, I was accepted And finally, I was surrounded by, you know, other kids with the same passion, not even just for vocal performance, but for anything and everything creative related. And anything goes, self-expression was welcomed, you know, and I was able to be myself in a safe space. Now, let's skip ahead 16 years to artsy, wacky Brit at 30 years old, diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and it's a a life-changing moment. New reality, new reality inserted here. But again, I was trying to fit into this new space that wasn't quite me yet. I was slowly becoming more and more educated about MS and trying to get my hands on anything and everything I could to widen my awareness of the disease. So I dove into support groups uh, on Facebook in particular, and I left them as quickly as I clicked that submit button. I remember that week in particular when I had decided, you know what, I'm going to try the whole support group thing. And I, I got on Facebook and you know, yes, I have MS and blah, blah, blah. And this is where I'm located. And I got accepted in and I'm looking on these support group pages and I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and I'm seeing a lot of negativity. And I am, I'm prefacing this now. I am not dogging on the support groups that Facebook has to offer. However, I think it can be really easy to allow these pages and allow these support groups to enter into a really dangerous place if there's a lot of negativity being housed. Because negativity, just like fear, likes to be fed. Again, if you heard my pre- one of my previous episodes, fear is a hungry ass mofo. Well, negativity is the same. 
as soon as somebody, it's like a fire. And every time somebody has something negative to contribute, they're putting another piece of wood on the fire. And then an hour later, everything is up in flames and you need to call someone because there's a disaster and you're not insured for it. So I'm on these support groups and I'm, I'm seeing all this negative you know, feeding of, of people and everyone's kind of feeding off of one another. So I would kind of put, you know, a positive or optimistic comment in thinking, well, maybe I can kind of, you know, widen people's perception and maybe I can kind of break that, that negative uh, pattern that was just running rampant on these pages. And I was completely wrong. <laughs> I got attacked so fast. I'm like, oh my gosh, how can I get attacked on social media? But I did. I was, I was just being attacked for being positive because people in, in this one specific group, and maybe they're not all like this, but they were happy sitting in their own shit. And I'm like, you know what? You're going to shit yourself, but go shower it off for the love of God, clean yo ass up and come back all squeaky and polished and nice looking. So the, the support groups were just not working for me. There was way too much negativity and, you know, everybody seemed to have utilized the space to moan and complain, which I get it. You know, some days are like that, but there was like this misery pilgrimage that I just did not want to be a part of. So I started reading articles, watching seminars, and tried to find anyone I could to look up to. And within the first week of diagnosis, I found Ardra Shepherd or MS tripping on air. And I was like, whoa, this chick is a badass. She had a blog. She was super, super vocal about her opinions related to having MS and she was fashionable and she made her mobility aids look like couture. Girl, if you are listening to this right now, sincerely, I have to tell you, you have absolutely no idea how much of an impact that you had on me. If I hadn't found you, when I found you, I may not even have known that there was a space in the world for someone like me who wanted to, you know, share what I was going through with the world in hopes of widening the perception of what disability looked like. So, so Ardra, MS Tripping on Air, thank you. Thank you so much for being the inspiration as to how I started this new chapter of life. So I'm finding role models in the MS community and gaining more knowledge about my disease because knowledge is power. Yes, I just said that. But soon after my diagnosis, it was recommended by my neurologist to start using a walking cane. The mobility in my left leg was getting worse. I was, you know, dragging my leg behind me like it was a dead carcass. And you know, even my, my office building's security manager had been compiling video clips of all the times I fell down in the hallway of her building. And I was the one, so no one's like, wow, that's really rude. I was the one that came to him and asked him because I thought it was hysterical. So of course he was like, oh, that's totally funny. Sure. Why not? I'll save, I'll save you all the clips. So after busting my face up on a few occasions, um, the term walking cane was strongly recommended. So I got on Amazon because where the heck else do we look? We can pretty much purchase anything we want in life on Amazon. And I pulled up a few walking cane options, but was looking at page after page 
of standard canes, sort of like the ones that, you know, you would find at CVS and they were not me. And I knew that if I had to use a walking cane, you are darn tootin', darn tootin' that it was going to be a reflection of me and have style and funk because we got to have the funk, man. But I was just not finding it at all. So I broadened my search aside from Amazon and found a few websites for walking canes like fashionablecanes.com and Elderlux to name a few. God, I hate, I, I love Elderlux's product because they have such a variety of canes, but for the love of all that is holy, please change the name of your website. It's not friendly to a 33-year-old that was just diagnosed with, you know, a progressive illness and needs a walking stick because it just, it's all associative with senior citizens. Not that there's anything wrong with seniors. We love them. They're gentle. They're so cute. They play bingo. I love to play bingo. I totally get it. But I want to find a walking cane website that I can relate to. So the majority of the content on these websites were associated with senior citizens. At the time, I was 30 years old, trying to feel confident about using a walking cane, but scrolling through websites showcasing mobility aids for seniors was not helping me at all until I found NeoWalk. NeoWalk is a walking cane company based in the UK, specializing in modern alternative acrylic walking sticks. Uh, founder and CEO Lindsay has broken all of the rules in terms of walking canes. So if you're looking for a walking cane to break all the rules and really set you apart as far as individuality goes, and I'm not being paid to promote their brand right now. So this is not in any way, shape or form an advertisement. I honestly just love her product and I think the absolute world of her. So where did we start in this episode? Um, it appears the lesions on my brain have led this story on a bit of a tangent. Oh, the shame. Oh, the agony. Okay. A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. So how does shame apply in terms of disability or in my case, MS? All of a sudden, we're given this diagnosis that dramatically changes our lives and shoves abrupt change down our throats faster than we can spit into a tin can. I cannot tell you how often I hear those living with disabilities feeling shame because of their disease, shame because of their lack of energy and overwhelming fatigue, shame for the way they walk, how their speech is affected, shame for the use of mobility aids, shame for not being able to keep up with their kids, to let their family know what's, what they're going through, you know, shame to be honest with their spouse or partner, shame, 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 and more frickin' shame. So. Let's go back to that definition. In today's lesson, <laughs> in today's lesson, can you tell that I'm really not as cool as I appear to be? I try. I try really, really hard to be cool, but it's never worked and I've just accepted that. So in today's lesson, we will learn about shame. Again, a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Where is the wrongful or foolish behavior in having a disability or chronic illness? Where is the wrong that we have caused? The answer is nowhere because it doesn't exist. We're putting shame on ourselves where shame is not even a, an applicable factor in this case. 
The definition just proved this. We're still trying to fit into this box at the cool kids table and the box is crowded with the same redundant crap of the same people doing the same things because they're too afraid to step outside the box and be themselves. You are not defined by your chronic illness or disability, but it is a part of you, a part of you that you have to visit with every day. You know it well. You know how it moves, what it looks like and feels like. You got it and it got you. But you are one functional ball of yin and yang. My point is stop the shame game and get out of the box. You are you and you are your own person, unique, courageous, maybe even a basket case until you've had your coffee, but you are one of a kind. So stop playing by the rules. I had uh, someone else living with MS DM me uh, privately recently. She had shared that she had not been very open with other people about her disability, though, you know, it's become pretty apparent at her place of work in regards to her mobility challenges. And she had mentioned that she rarely uses a walking cane and never does in public, but notices that when it does help her, she uses it, but she just couldn't find that confidence to take that step. And I guarantee you, at least five of you listening to this podcast right now are currently wearing eyeglasses. A lot of people wear eyeglasses, but do you realize that eyeglasses are technically an aid of sorts. They improve your vision or eyes mobility, as I like to say. Why are walking canes being categorized differently? One assists with seeing, like eyeglasses, and the other assists with walking, like rollers and wheelchairs and walking sticks. Both are functions that obviously we depend on, yet they're classified and stigmatized completely separate of one another and dramatically stigmatized, I might add. So I asked her where she thought her lack of confidence was coming from. Was it coming from a space of being openly judged? Like had somebody, you know, said something really rude to her on the street and it just scarred her for life? Or was it merely, or was she merely projecting this onto herself? It was her response that was surrounded by this element of not being communicative to those around her regarding her disability. It was hidden. It was something she felt shame for. So ask yourself, if you are brave enough to recognize that you have a vision issue and you are brave enough to wear eyeglasses in order to assist with that vision issue, why are mobility aids categorized any different? Stop the shame. If you need it, use it. If you need it, use it. And advocate for the fact that you don't need to validate why you need it in the first place. It's up to you how much you want to be transparent. You know me. You know how I roll. I'm an open book and I like to be transparent about everything. But stop the shame game. Thanks for listening to All the Odds with that crazy tattooed MS chick. What's her name again? Oh, right. A hot MS. When you're not listening here, 
check out her website for the latest blog or shoot her a DM on the gram. Oh, yeah, she's on that TikTok thing, too. And don't forget to celebrate your disasters. Your victories get enough attention. 